Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with the whole crew. We got Richard Lawson, Vanity Fair's film critic. Hello. Vanity Fair senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. And Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hello. We're moving fast to our award season. First on the docket this week is uh, whether or not La La Land is just this unstoppable train. Damien Chazelle won the Directors Guild Award for it on Saturday, which was an expected victory, but it does set him up to be the youngest Best Director winner ever. He is 32 yeah. years old, which makes us all ghosts, basically. <laughs> um, so that's just a director's win. That's not a Best Picture win, but it does really seem to add to the sense that La La Land has just got this thing wrapped up. Yeah, it was at PGA's too, you know. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, which was two weeks ago. I yeah, guess. so I don't know. I think there's something about Chazelle's age that has me kind of like, well, maybe not. But no, I don't I don't know. I think it feels kind of ordained at this point. Wait, did you say he's 32? I believe so, yes. So per the lovely stat link you sent us, that would tie him with the great Norman Tarog for the film Skippy from 1930 and 1931. Skippy, my, your favorite and mine. <laughs> you know, I watch Skippy once a year just, yeah, yeah, yeah. just to reconnect. Is well, that the, I thought that was the thing on the Microsoft Office with the, that told you when you were doing something wrong. Well, so Norman Tarog was, according to Wikipedia, 32 years and 260 days. Damien Chazelle turned oh. 32 on January 19th. So he's got oh. you know, half younger a year months. plus. He's just a little bit younger. Yeah. So the, much. I had dinner right. last night with someone who went to high school with Damien Chazelle. How are they feeling these Days. Not great. <laughs> Feeling a little, little eclipsed. And he's an accomplished guy, my friend. But yeah, uh, Chazelle is, is young. And I don't know, that that has been a hindrance to people in the past. But this year, I don't know. I, I think that that movie is seemingly so beloved by the guilds and by everyone else. So Yeah, it's interesting how, you know, I was thinking, not that everything's about Donald Trump, which we'll discuss, but, you know, Trump is the oldest president to ever take office. And no one talks about that because there's just so much else to talk about. Yeah. No one's talking about Damien Chazelle's age because La La Land has so many other things going for it. So he would be the youngest winner. Yes. Yeah. So he's not the youngest nominee, actually. But the, he doesn't but, even make the top 10 of youngest nominees. But Richard, nominees. before we started, was talking about some people who were insanely young when they made some quite good movies. Yeah. Orson Welles was 26 when he was nominated for ridiculous. Citizen Kane. That's yeah. I mean, uh, at 26, I don't. I was like in a gutter. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what the hell <laughs> yeah. I was doing. I was just I, on drugs. You know, uh, yeah, I was writing for Gawker and being an asshole. <laughs> well, I had, I had the same feeling as your friend who went to high school with Damien Chazelle when uh, Ben Zeitlin, who I went to college with, who, I, right. who was two years ahead of me, but he, you know, right. when he was nominated for Beast of the Southern Wild, I definitely had a, oh, okay, that's, that's where we <laughs> yeah. are now moment. The record holder, right, is John Singleton, who was 24 years, 44 days the days are important yeah uh when he well when he got nominated for boys in the hood which is really i mean it's so john singleton his career is in many ways defined by race which i think we've talked about plenty on this show but it is really fascinating that he gets the best director nomination at 24 and then his career really did not kind of crest in the way that a lot of people have expected you know look at ben zeitlin who had this huge oscar breakthrough he hasn't made his follow-up film yet not that i mean he's doing what he wants he's doing fine but yeah it does it's not always this Orson Welles' indication of a coronation where you just go on to massive success. No, it's not. And I think Singleton, you know, suffered from the sort of mentality of, well, we already have Spike Lee. So, you know, like, <laughs> oh. you know, it was that, it's that. I mean, I don't agree with that thinking, but I think that you're right. Kenneth Branagh was only 29 when he was nominated for Henry V. I mean, yeah. these people really started. I don't know what the hell we're doing. It's, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm actually getting up and leaving to do something more worthwhile with my yeah, life yeah. right now. Well, yeah. so, all right. So the other award ceremony that happened over the weekend was the American Society of Cinematographers, where La La Land did not win. So there is, mm. you know, one tiny oh. uh, chink in the armor where Lion took home the award. Yeah. And Lion is beautifully filmed. I think we keep talking about this movie as being like, why aren't more people talking about Lion? There seems to be an institutional love of that movie. Like, yeah. um, I was talking with Kyle Buchanan, who writes for Vulture and covers award stuff, 
uh, when we were at Sundance, and he was saying that he has been talking to Academy members in LA throughout the, the past couple months, and that they kind of unanimously talk about three films, Moonlight, La La Land, and Lion. Mm. And like everyone he's talked to has said Lion. They're, people love that movie. Yeah. And so that would seem to be evidence. And it got a ton of nominations. So, yeah. um, Although at this point, is it likely to win anything? I don't think so. That's really no. crazy. Yeah. But I feel like, especially now with the expanded, you know, 10 Best Picture nominees in the past few years, there have been movies like that, like Bridge of Spies, you know, a movie that quietly made a good deal of money but didn't get much fanfare it wasn't like a big fan hit you know yeah uh and then just got all these nominations i feel like every year there's a there's a movie like that and this year it's lion which i'm happy i mean it's a good movie yeah or also uh hidden figures which is if you were to give me anything that could run up and beat la la land i would probably give it to hidden figures i don't think it's going to happen but i'm not sure the hidden figures is going to win anything either interesting if we're talking about chazelle and director what is it about the directing accomplishment do you think that's pushing him over the top is it the music is it the locations is it the choreography the whole thing the crazy vision of it all yeah it's a big movie i'm joining i'll let you talk about this i've been talking a lot well no i was just i was gonna agree with you just the ambition of the vision i think i don't want to beat the same drum every week but i really do think when it comes to craft Barry Jenkins' work on Moonlight is much, much better. But I think La La Land is getting anointed for, oh, this guy took this big risk and did an original musical. Forgetting that we do occasionally get original musicals. and I don't know. They're acting like, you know, we haven't had an original musical in Hollywood in forever. And, I and mean, that's not quite true. It's been a while. What, what's, what are you thinking of? As a I'm thinking of, well, of the reason I'm not naming it is because I forgot the name now. So that doesn't bode well for it. But the one that the... The Anna Kendrick, you know. Oh, last five years. Yeah, last five years. That's not an original musical, though. That was a Broadway show. Oh, you're right. You're right. But, but there's a romance and cigarettes to John Turturro <laughs> film. Yeah, I mean, or My Beloved Sing Street or Once, mm-hmm. but those, yeah. those aren't really Hollywood productions. Like, I think the idea of staging something on an actual studio backlot, like Singing in the Rain, and you know, there definitely is like an well, original. Well, and it's that. cool. It, it is cool what he did, and it's very, very targeted to the people who vote in Oscars, which is that he took two versions of LA and Hollywood and put them together, mm-hmm. the kind of nostalgic one, and literally had that type of action happening on top of today's LA that people actually live in. And probably a lot of the people in the industry and who live in LA, all they want is to be in that old Hollywood and they want someone to kind of reassure them that this LA is as magical and cool as the one that they moved there in search of, you know. But that's not just an illusion. Like it's it's actually executed really beautifully in the film, I mm-hmm. think. You know, he carries that out technically yeah. and on screen. And I think that what that movie has kind of buffering it is um, the, the middle stretch of that movie, many people have said, myself included, the middle stretch, it's sort of the music stops and it becomes just this kind of more familiar relationship dramedy. But the opening with the traffic scene and yeah. then the party and then the close with the dream ballet and the audition song, yeah. those are so strong yeah. that anything that's not great about the middle kind of gets forgotten. Well, I think in the middle, he spends too much time on Google Earth. <laughs> or is that sorry I'm, I'm confused about which film oh, right Ryan Gosling goes Lion. to find his <laughs> who's going to say La La Lion yeah. on the uh, on the red carpet this year you would 
giddly talented, la la la. Um, no, I, I will just be completely honest with myself and you guys, which is that if La La Land were more of an underdog, I would be stumping for it. But since it's just this anointed winner, I keep finding ways to sort of poke holes in it. And that's not fair, but that's sort of the nature of these kind of competitions. Well, and I thought Rebecca Keegan did a good job of getting at that in her newsletter yesterday, which is how hard it is to just sit at the top of the pile for this long. Mm-hmm. You know, And I remember yeah. talking to Pete Hammond right after the premiere at Toronto, which I didn't actually get to. And he was like, I'm telling them they should not show it to anybody for at least a month. Like they, yeah. they knew what they had and they were really trying to, you know, hold off. They have done quite a good job. And so we'll see if it. Yeah. If it no, I, I remember after it premiered at Telluride in Toronto and I, you know, was coming back from maternity leave and was dying to see this movie. And it was like the holy grail. Like you could not get into a screening yes. of this movie because they yeah. were, even though so many people had seen it, they really were trying to like play it carefully and which is fascinating because Lionsgate is not a studio that is you know you've seen in the Oscar race in this way before they really they had some good strategists on their side you know one could go back to an episode from I think this spring I am friends with a former Lionsgate publicist who told me I don't know, in March or something, that the movie was a masterpiece. And I said, well, I don't know, maybe that's just publicist spin. But they they did know, you know. And yeah. Yeah. when I saw it at Telluride, it was the screening that they reserve for the premium pass holders and press, which is a special screening that's not listed on the schedule. And I feel like that was a shrewd thing. Mm-hmm. They, you know, like they created a re- huge sense of anticipation for it. it was the first movie most of us saw at Telluride. You know, they really have handled it very well. And then they had, you know, the sort of platformed release in theaters and it's been a big commercial hit. You know, I think it's at a hundred million now. Yeah. It's uh, so it and hidden figures have both passed a hundred billion dollars yeah. to kind of neck and neck right around yeah. 120. And that's, I think Katie, what, what, you know, that hidden figures poses perhaps the biggest threat to La La Land is that those commercial hits like a million dollar baby or something or American sniper, they have fans in the Academy who want to yes. vote for, for yeah. things that are financially viable. Yeah. People want people to watch the show. And yeah. so they want them to actually know what the movies are. And yeah. a lot of people know what La La Land is mm-hmm. now. Yeah. yeah, no, mm-hmm. we had talked about it previously about how it was looking like kind of a low box office Oscar season. And it's really a relief to see movies like Hidden Figures and La La Land and Arrival we had talked about before. And Hacksaw Ridge slowly did, yeah. did business. Hacksaw yeah. Ridge, I think, is yeah. close to $100 million, somewhere around there. But I think it helps explain Emma's kind of cautious speech at the SAGs. I think that's, you know... They've really managed this. It's been a very controlled rollout. Mm -hmm. And whereas something like Moonlight, even though Mahershala Ali, we assume, is going to win, they're still in underdog mode trying to really put points on the board. And La La Land's just trying to not make a mistake. Don't get pushed out of field goal (laughs) range if I may bring up recent trauma. What do you guys in all your infinite Oscar campaign knowledge, what do you think Ryan Gosling could have done to better his chances because we still don't feel like he is Get a personality transplant <laughs> okay <laughs> but he's up against casey affleck i mean it's not like he's up against like the most charming man in the world i mean i think the biggest thing standing in ryan gosling's way is that he's an immigrant <laughs> that is so true <laughs> by the way I, that canadian bias I, I don't i don't mean to say ryan gosling has a bad personality he's just not like casey he's he just not no a desire. campaigner he's not a schmoozer yeah. he has no desire to do the song and dance for his he song also and dance does movie. not have an Emma Stone moment in that movie. No. You know, like she right. has this huge yeah. thing at towards the end of the film and he, you know, he has like his kind of more more recessive the city of stars kind of wandering on the pier, but Emma Stone so clearly blows it out and when's the last time that a best actor and actress won like as good as it gets? Like it's been a long yeah. time. He underplays and I think that yeah. that's the role. And whereas Casey underplays to 
unbelievably devastating accumulated emotional effect. Ryan's underplaying basically to like make Emma shine even mm-hmm. brighter. So yeah. he did his job. Yeah, but Gosling is not he's not Casey Affleck when he chooses to be. Like when you see him present an award at award show, he's hilarious and so good. Or if he wants to play along with an interview bit like that Hey Girl meme sort of interview, famous interview, like he's so great in game. And I don't want to spoil my own work, but I'm working on a piece sort of about hosting Saturday Night Live and whether or not that can help your chances to win an Oscar. And like Gosling is a great Saturday Night Live host, actually. And Emma hosted and Casey hosted. And I kind of think that if Ryan had hosted and done a really good job of it this fall or even this month or last, it would have helped him a little bit. Not not that it would have been the deciding, but you're right. If he had decided to play the game, which he decided not to do, then I, I, I don't know, though. He's I, been everywhere. Like, I don't he, want, I want to give him played. credit. He's gone through the thing. Yeah. But yeah. So, by the way, the other thing that we should bring up is our old friend James Murphy mm-hmm. and the Pitt Hanks continuum. Yep. As he put it, cool guys don't win Oscars. Yeah. It's this just, was his theory for why Leo DiCaprio hadn't won uh, the year that he didn't win for Wolf of Wall Street and yeah. continued. And for Leo to win, he had to like swim in a frozen stream and sleep inside of a dead b- animal's body <laughs> and have cry with icicles coming out of his nostrils. You know, this type of cool role, just guys don't win for this usually. Yep. But he also played the game harder that year than, he, like, you know, he did impressions on Ellen, yeah. you know, like, he went on Graham Norton show. He did a lot of, like, the glad handing. And I, no, I mean, like, Ryan is going to the events, but in terms of, like, I don't know, adorable mainstream moments. Maybe I'm overpricing those. Maybe those don't matter as much as I think they do. But like, I remember Eddie Redmayne dancing on the Graham Norton like, show. No one has worked harder than Eddie Redmayne. Well, Eddie, in an yeah, award <laughs> I mean, that was really a, a textbook. Well, he saw he saw a weak spot in Keaton, and he exploited it and became the most likable guy on the yeah. on the circuit that Which year. Which is, I mean, yeah. uh, we keep talking about how Casey Affleck feels like he's kind of ready to be knocked off his perch, and I think now we've decided that Denzel Washington probably stands the best chance. But yeah. Ryan Gosling could have been exploiting that all along. Well, and I, I don't know if Gosling and Clooney are pals at all, but Clooney they worked... They made Ides of March together. Right. And Clooney worked really hard for the Descendants and was pissed when he didn't get it. He didn't get it, right? I'm not making an ass of <laughs> myself. He <laughs> did not get it. <laughs> he got beaten by Jean Dujardin. Um, uh, yeah, so so he was really upset. And, and I think basically, from what I understand, swore he was never going to do this again. And I think for a guy like Gosling, it's just, and for a guy like Leo, you really got to feel to kind of put yourself out there and risk embarrassment and all that stuff. You really got to feel like you've got a real chance. And this kind of smooth, cool role is not necessarily your best chance. There might be yeah. another thing when Gosling goes full Eastern Promises where he's like, all right, I'm going for it. Well, that's what's interesting about his track record. He got nominated for Half Nelson when he was really young. And, and it was so good. Yeah. And Still it, some of his best work. Yeah. And that was kind of like so a big good. breakthrough performance for him. And then uh, Blue Valentine, famously, Michelle Williams got nominated and he didn't, even though it was a very classic two-hander. They were both very much in this movie. And this is kind of the second time that he has been opposite a woman who he's really, her performance has outshone him in some way, even though he got the nomination this time. Well, I mean, I'm just looking on IMDb to see what Gosling has coming up. He has Blade Runner. He has a new Terrence Malick movie. Um, But in pre-production, so who knows if it's actually going to get made, is Damien Chazelle directing a biopic about Neil Armstrong, in which Ryan Gosling plays Neil Armstrong. So there you go. There's your Oscar. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Because, Because in a sort of gendered way... 
Gosling is not the focus of La, La Land. He's not the emotional right. kind of fulcrum yeah, exactly. of it. exactly. And men do not win acting awards for movies where a woman is bigger than them in the movie. I mean, it happens, but like it's rare, it, you know, like yeah. for a best actor, it needs to be eating a bison liver or whatever. You know? didn't get nominated for Titanic. Yeah. Whereas all the time, women are not only nominated, but awarded oh. for support the male performance. Oh, right? for sure. Fly yeah. to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good, I hope he sings. Good Gosling impression. Uh, apparently, the news is that they're not performing at the Oscars, which is insane. Why do you even nominate those songs if you're not going to have Emma and Ryan sing on stage? I am going to be Who's I am, them? Yeah, doing like, it, which no. is going to be really great. I'm really glad you're oh, doing some vocals. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to do like the full Adina Menzel where you have like millions of Swarovski crystals? Do you mean Adele like, Nazine? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Richard's yeah. going to jump off the roof of <laughs> the Kodak <laughs> yeah, Theater. Yeah. And I am going to make a political <laughs> statement. <laughs> The scoop is that uh, MNRI won't be performing, but uh, our owner, Becca Keegan, talked to Justin Timberlake and Limola Miranda on Monday and found out that they will both be performing. So there will be some cute, charming things happening at the Oscars, just not from so Emma Stone and Ryan Will Gosling. it be John Legend? I don't know. Who else is going to sing Emma Stone's audition song? I mean, I guess <laughs> Dina Mazzell, maybe? Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess like if you're nominated, Ariana Grande. Like, maybe there's an argument like you're nominated, you don't want to have to focus on a performance. But yeah, I'm I'm really surprised. Or you don't want to like potentially embarrass yourself have, if you don't I guess so. Do like because there, you know, so much has been made about the fact that their voices aren't the strongest in the whole world. So live singing in the theater versus quiet singing for the camera. I mean, episode did Broadway. Amy Adams did Happy Working Song yeah. uh, at the Oscars. You yeah, know? she did. And, and you know, she's she's. She does musical theater. I think you know, Millie but... Vanilli should sing. <laughs> sorry. Oh, really. <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry. For our younger listeners, uh, <laughs> as a band before you were born. Oh. This year, I'm going to eat better and spend less time and money at the grocery store thanks to ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the meat delivery subscription that gives me more time for what matters most. Each month, they send a box of the highest quality meats for a better price in the grocery store, which gives me more time to spend cooking and sharing delicious meals with friends and family. Each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of high quality meat right to my home. All meat is free of antibiotics and hormones. Each box has 9 to 11 pounds of meat, which is enough for 24 individual meals. It's packed fresh and shipped frozen and vacuum sealed so that it always stays that way. I can customize my box or go with one of theirs. Either way, I get exactly what I want. ButcherBox is really the most affordable and convenient way to get healthy, humanely raised meat. With ButcherBox, you get the highest quality meat for just about $6 a meal. And they even have free shipping nationwide, except for Alaska and Hawaii. So start your year off right with up to 10 pounds of free meat. For a limited time, ButcherBox is offering new members their ultimate keto bundle when you sign up today. That includes one pork butt, two pounds of ground beef, and three pounds of bone-in chicken thighs for free in the first box by going to butcherbox.com slash cadence. That's butcherbox.com slash cadence. Well, we've had a really pleasant 20 minutes talking about movies, but I did feel like kind of a thematic topic for this week because it seems to happen everywhere is that uh, everything seems to be about Trump, even when it's not about Trump. Yeah. And uh, this is a thought I had watching the Super Bowl, which if you watch the Super Bowl and Twitter at the same time, which I don't recommend, everyone was kind of turning it into a proxy war of the 2016 election. And mm-hmm. then it turned out exactly like the 2016 election, which is that the big bad guy who everyone thought was going to be defeated uh, won in the end. Yeah. I'm uh, actually sweating and nauseous <laughs> even now that no, you're talking about it. No, it gives you PTSD it. to yeah, think horrible. about it this it was way. absolutely horrible. Yeah. And then all I can wait, Richard, you're from 
Boston. The fact that you, uh, I, I, I have rooted for the Patriots in the past as much as I root for any sports team. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this year I was like, uh, if Atlanta doesn't win, then the Republic is doomed. <laughs> they didn't win. Well, I think yeah. the the nice thing for this year's Oscars is that there's not really an obvious Trump parallel in the movies itself. It's not like I was saying that yesterday to a friend that like if Michael Bay was in the Oscar race for the first time this year, like that would be the Trump parallel. But I feel like La La Land being the front runner and being the escapist movie, people are like really straining to find connections here. And I kind of just want all of us to like maybe shake our heads and agree that it's just not about Trump. This it's not about Trump, like, except... If Mel Gibson wins Best Director. Oh, Jesus Which Christ. could happen. It, yeah. Honestly. We didn't talk about that with our whole Damien Chazelle thing. But yeah. I mean, what's, what's your argument for that? Well, I just think that movie is really liked by older people. And I know that they've done some work to change the demographics of the Academy. But it, it's only been a year. So they, the overhaul isn't that complete. I mean, Mel still got the Best Director nomination. He got the nomination, you know, over some other people. So I don't think it's going to happen. But like, it could. And if that happens, then we've got a repeat of. Although, you know. I mean, even though even though Mel Gibson is associated with anti-Semitism mm-hmm. uh, and being a crazy old drunk white guy, which is <laughs> very on brand for the Trump administration, <laughs> I do think that the film's message is not necessarily mm. Trumpian because right. it's actually yeah. about a pacifist. You're right. Yeah, help saving Americans' lives, and it's all very much about like Americans acting like Americans instead of acting like Nazis and winning World <laughs> War II. Literally the opposite of Nazis. Yeah, so yeah. Um, so there's that. I doubt anyone would actually keep that in mind, but I did want to point that out. Also, the other thing is that the people, the, the liberal circular firing squad around being angry at La La Land because it's about a white jazz musician, I get how that's a little bit, but like, can we not do this? Any, can we stop doing the liberal f- circular firing squad? And just like, this is a movie, it's like a freaking musical about starving actors. Yeah, there's a there's a piece on the LA Times by uh, Glenn Lovell, an op-ed, that I saw sort of fired around angrily on Twitter the last two days. The headline is, Will the Political Climate Deprive La La Land of the Best Picture Oscar? Uh, you know, yeah, exactly. And it's sort of about, you know, the conservative fear that identity politics will get hidden figures or fences or moonlight. The award is a message to Trump um, that stories about white people will not stand. And I like, I I just think we all agree that that's not going to happen. That's probably that's crazy. But it's also just a trash opinion. I mean, if sorry, hidden figures like too. jumped up in one Lala, like one best picture, like I'd be perfectly happy with that. Yeah. I guess that doesn't seem likely, but. Would but you think, though, can, can we just actually, sorry. And I, I don't, I think that sounds like a very trash article. Hidden figures. I mean, is, but Moonlight. A, if, oh, Moonlight. Moonlight one. That'd be incredible. That'd yeah. be like the best best picture winner. Too, in, I know, but like Ted ages. Melfi. Yeah. I mean, this is <laughs> yeah. that is Saint a, Vincent does not go away quickly. Perfectly amusing, very inspiring sure. movie with some great performances, but like it's not really a, a best picture. Uh, sure, I think that the surprise that it winning at the SAGs and stuff like that I'm more reacting to is that like we've been kind of exhaustively talking about this for months now. I would just be. It would be fun to see something. Like unexpected happen. Sure. Oh, well, I say fun. It wouldn't be fun to see Mel Gibson win. You know, like, like, like there are certain <laughs> unexpected things that would be bad. I, I don't know. I think that, uh, I don't think that La La Land's win, which feels inevitable at this point, will be met with much like, well, this is a sign of blank. I think it's just a movie no. that people really like kind of yeah. universally like. It is interesting though, if it doesn't win, then, then everyone will be, will be really well, deeply yeah. analyzing. Oh, the takes, and the takes and will be unbelievable. If you look at this crazy year in sports, 
where the World Series w- went to seven games. You know, the NBA went to seven games. I'm going to take your word for every, that. <laughs> somebody tweeted it, but every single sports thing has gone down to the wire and yeah. had some crazy reversal. Mm-hmm. So if that really is in the air, which I don't believe in these things, but if that is in the air, then it suggests maybe La La Land isn't going to win, even though it's 91% likely to win just like Hillary. And, oh, my God. Uh, the, you know, See, now the, you're giving the me the Falcons. PTSD again. Yeah. Like, I can't. So, I if can't it's, so will this. it be hidden figures or Hacksaw Ridge? And, and, and uh, or something else. Uh, well, there's going to be, there's gonna be, be really a robust confusing. write-in campaign for Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the best. Yeah. Yeah. Deepwater yeah. Horizon that's, that's comes best. in. That's yeah. Real... Yeah. I think I'm already exhausted in advance about the hot takes on both sides. I, I think I, you're wrong. I think if La La Land wins, there will be a bunch of think pieces about what this means about Trump's America. And I think if it loses, there would be even and more. And like, we're counting it's, on it's, you to write at least three of them, <laughs> yeah, by the way. Oh, I have you signed up on the Excel document. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> No, I mean, I think the thing pieces come with everything. I mean, if you remember last year, we had like The Revenant versus Spotlight, and that felt like a proxy war for like big movies versus small movies or like white men versus journalism. Like there was all kinds of things that we put on it. And I think even now looking less than a year later, it's like, oh, it was just two movies. That's that's what it was. I mean, in some years there is a lot of symbolism. Like I think Brokeback Mountain losing Best Picture really was symbolic of something, you know, diseased within the Academy and homophobia that has hopefully since changed. But some years it's just about the Crash solved racism, Katie. (laughs) That's true. <laughs> and here we are today, the best yeah. picture winner, Hidden yeah. Figures, yeah. to prove that it solved racism. <laughs> and the artist, we all agree, is an enduring classic for our time. Oh, man. What did the artist beat? I don't even remember. The Descendants, I guess. That's the. I've never like. seen The yep. Artist. Really? Nope, never seen it. This is off topic, but I talk, you know, the last best picture winner that you haven't seen. Mine is The English Patient. Oh, it's so I good. just watched it for it the first so time yeah? two weeks ago Did you with like my it? fiance who has watched it about 400 times. It's wonderful. Yes. It's beautiful. It's so it's good. It's really, really good. It. Well, what's yeah. the last best picture nominee you haven't seen, Mike and Joanna? Or winner. winner? Yeah, sorry, winner. Yeah, nominees, that's a whole other... I uh, think mine is definitely The Artist. Uh, Yeah, that was like four years ago. How did you avoid The Artist? (laughs) Assiduously. I mean, it took work (laughs) to not see that movie. You know what mine is? The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. I just couldn't. Oh, really? Midway through the second (laughs) one, I was like, I can't watch these. You didn't miss much. Mine is Unforgiven, and I tried like two years ago, and I couldn't do it. It's on Netflix, I believe, if you want to try again. I I don't know what to tell you. I tried. <laughs> I also have never seen Forrest Gump. Really? What? Mm-hmm. Oh, because you were like in college and too cool for yes, it. Exactly. Oh, this is your too cool phase. Yeah. Oh, wow. Too cool phases. Yeah, isn't that how you hadn't seen Titanic either? No, I saw Titanic in the theater. Oh, there, but there's a lot of stuff that I that I missed in those days. Oh, A Beautiful Mind. Didn't see that. Never, oh, never seen that. Well, I that's like good. Drove... Based on a Vanity Fair um, is that right? article, <laughs> right. like as is Lion. Well, based on a uh, Vanity Fair excerpt. Yeah, that's true. But actually, little known fact, our boss, Graydon Carter... Did uh, tip off Hollywood to a beautiful mind before publication. Huh? Because he knew it would make such a good film and it ended up winning Best Picture. Well, I think I owe it to my employer then to see this To see film. a beautiful yeah, mind. Yeah, I forgot yeah. to say. Before Unforgiven, the next Best Picture I haven't seen is 1972's French Connection. So apparently... Wow, you've seen a lot of those 80s movies that are like, I had to watch Gandhi in college and I regret every minute I spent watching it. <laughs> yeah, we watched it in high school for some reason. I don't know... Why? But anyway, apparently I've got a Gene Hackman block, so I will try to do Unforgiven and the French Connection. French Connection is great, but it's surprisingly slow now when you see it. But I've never seen it either. Wonderful for that reason. There's some cool stuff. There's an insane car chase that lasts for just like 20 minutes. Yeah, and it's really just two loud cars just going up like the Henry Hudson. You know, you're just like okay. sounds great. But that sounds kind of it's soothing fun, but it is point. yeah, it's it's kind of <laughs> soothing. <laughs> 
Well, let's wrap up this week's episode, not doing Go Big or Go Home, because we've talked about a lot of categories. But yesterday was the nominees luncheon, where all of the year's nominees get together and have kind of an awkward lunch. And then they take a big family photo, which is... It's the best. It's my favorite part of the entire year. So Julie Miller kind of did an elaborate piece about it yesterday at VanityFair.com to talk about everyone you can see in it. And we just kind of wanted to overanalyze who is there together. Julie picked out some really great ones, including the uh, power row of Matt Damon, Natalie. Portman and Emma Stone all sitting together. Joanna, what what were your favorite parts? Um, I want to look up the guy's name because it's oh, is this Kevin O'Connell? Yeah, there you go. Who's what a sound engineer? Re-recording mixer. Yeah, re-recording mixer for Hacksaw Ridge. He's standing to the left of the Oscar statue and doing one of these like this guy thumb moves at the Oscar statue which I've never seen in the luncheon photo. So yeah, he's immediately a favorite. He's also a 21-time yeah. nominee who has never won. So he is sick to death of doing this photo. He's got Susan Lucci beat by all <laughs> yeah. yeah, all of his fucks are gone. And he's like, I'll do whatever I want in this photo. It's fine. So that was my favorite part. Just to the left of him is Pharrell in a uh, NASA sweatshirt and ripped jeans. Because Pharrell yeah. is a rock star and has not, doesn't have to do anything. I've been overanalyzing this NASA trend. Like a lot of people pointed out that, you know, since he's there for hidden figures, that's yeah. probably why he's wearing a NASA sweatshirt. But Chris Evans was wearing a NASA hat at the Super Bowl, probably because they're in Houston and they like went and I don't know. Hang on. I can go really deep on this. Octavia Spencer was kind of smack talking Chris Evans on Twitter during the Super Bowl because he's from New England and uh, they were co-stars in Snowpiercer and uh, she's in hidden figures. Oh, okay. Maybe he's stumping for hidden figures. I, I don't support it. NASA's having a moment. Good. Yay, it, science. Just in time for us to defund it, probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like the people who got to sit down in the front row, really, um, that's not fair. Because I'm sure that this photo took a while to sort of assemble, and they got to sit the whole time, and other people are standing on risers, uncomfortable. Julie or Rebecca wrote that, I think they load it from the back to the front. Oh, that makes sense, because like, they're not going to make Natalie Portman sit there forever. Yeah, they call their name and then they go up, and so that's what they were. That's what they were like. Ryan Gosling looks so grumpy because he's in the back crossing his arms, and they're like he had been clapping for like an hour as each person came up. <laughs> if he didn't already hate Ord season, <laughs> right? Yeah. Do you guys know anything about why Justin Timberlake winds up? Well, not just that's a bad example because he's so famous, but like why Ryan Gosling's in the back row? No, and I asked. So Rebecca Keegan had been there, and she's been to this luncheon many times, and you know knows basically everything about the academy. And I asked her, "What is the logic behind it?" She's like, "I know they have a process, but I don't know what it is." And I kind of feel like it's just to maximize delight for us to hunt for all the famous faces in mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm. and for like you know the re-recording mixer who hasn't been nominated twenty-one times to be standing next to Steven Spielberg. Like that's got to be fun. Can you imagine yeah. that? Like this is like a seating chart from hell. This is like a wedding times a thousand. Of, like, yeah, so that's to- why you make it random, so no one can be like, "Why don't you like me? I'm Ryan Gosling. Why am I in the back row?" It's like it's random man you just, like, not, i mean the front row i don't think is random right there's a lot of a lot of big names very, in that front row. very important nominees in the front row yeah i'm looking at a tiny version of, who is the woman in the left right in the front in the red dress is that a famous person or is she just really well dressed and not famous she looks beautiful i don't know who she is man well, <laughs> we'll find out at the something something <laughs> annual Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> well, our separate spinoff podcast that will just go through person by person in this photo and uh, yeah, assign right. their feelings to each <laughs> other. Very bizarre, intense spinoff. Yeah. This uh, article is on VF.com. We'll link to yep. it in the show notes for this episode. Uh, please go look at it. I think it's probably my favorite thing in award season. It's great. That does it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to this. Uh, I think rambling but enjoyable catch up on. We've all lost our minds. I mean, we're being <laughs> gaslit by the president of the United States. Like, just bear with us. It's not about. 
not Trump, Richard. What sorry, did we talk sorry. about? We lost Mike, but uh, you can find Mike on Twitter, as you well know. And the rest of us, we're all at Little Gold Men. We really love hearing from you all on Twitter. Please keep talking to us. It's really enjoyable. It's a little column in my tweet deck that I enjoy a lot. So yeah, find us on Twitter. Recommend the show to other people. And then uh, tweet us on our own. I'm at Katie Rich, Richard. Rylos. And Joanna. Joe wrote this. This episode was edited and produced by Alana Milner. And thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. <laughs>